Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Before I begin my interview today, I just wanted to smile and apologize. This was one of my first interviews and my puppy Cosmo was three months old. And at the beginning, you're going to hear some barking and then she moved on to scratching. So I sincerely apologize. And and I, I think I've got it down a little bit better now. Plus she's gotten a little bit older. So just wanted to fill you in on that. Thank you for understanding. I would like to share with you at the end of my interview with Dr. Jeffrey Lay, he has included a beautiful heart-opening meditation for all of you to enjoy. Enjoy the interview. I am so excited to have Dr. Jeffrey Lay on the program today. He has taught and conducted research and developed community programs at universities in the Midwest, including University of Iowa and Ohio State University and the West, University of Utah, University of Nevada, Reno. He co-edited a book, Adolescents and Families, and has published many scholarly articles over his 30-year career in academia. He now lives in Napa Valley, where he is working on a novel and book of short stories. He works in real estate also and conducts spiritual coaching sessions based on his work, Rekindling Our Cosmic Spark. Hi, Jeffrey. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Hi, it's a pleasure to be with you, Marla. Yes. Well, let's just jump right in. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you began this journey of working with children and spirituality? I was interested in psychology, ended up doing um, advanced degrees in child development, early childhood education, and then family studies and, and sociology. And so I was interested in how children developed work with emotionally preschool children, emotionally disturbed preschool children for a while when I was wow. um, undergraduate, and um, and then started having my own children and um, was just very interested in kind of how humans develop. It's always been a long interest of mine, but um, later in my career I began to look at my own kind of defense mechanisms and when they were in place and realized that they developed very young and when I look back and at marriage family therapy and other clinical work that I've done I see that's true of other people too yet we often get um, early wounds or (coughs) difficulties that create defense mechanisms and I, I started to think that or wonder how did they get in place so early? How is it that yes. they that happened? Um, and then my colleague and I began doing research on children's energy fields. I got very interested in energy fields of people and the children in particular, and realized 
as we began to do this re research that they were creating energy rings, that they were using their third eye or sixth chakra to apparently investigate objects or people, all sorts of things as infants. And it was, and none of the theories about child development explained all of that. And so I became increasingly curious about um, that, began reading a lot of the near-death research and looking at what people were saying beyond um, this life, uh, what things were like, and there were a lot of common threads, as you're aware of, and, <laughs> and they've done a lot of work with the University of Heaven around that. Um, and I just began to wonder, um, what is it that, we're not seeing around children and how they developed. Right. So that kind of really increasingly sparked my interest and began to gather then lots of information around that and, and realize that there was a lot more to children than we had ever given them credit for. Absolutely. Yes. Well, let's talk about your book, Rekindling Our Cosmic Spark, A New Centric Approach to Living and parenting. So tell us, um, what is newcentrism? What, what does that mean? It's a combination of two words, nos and essence. Nos is basically the, the uh, emanation, first emanation of a self-reflective universe as kind of one definition of it. And essence is the core of something. Um, the, the, an essence of an idea is the core right. of an idea. An essence of a person is, what is, who are we at our core? And what I realized, especially as I began to do, um, gather a lot of this research, is that at our core, I think we are a spark of the divine, of the greater um, consciousness that exists in our universe, um, and that we are connected to that, that that is in us and that we are a part of that uh, naturally. And so it's an approach that incorporates that, um, the energy fields around that, um, and the energy interactions that take place uh, between people and particularly happen with children. Wow. And you say that within this view of newcentrism, um, children are seen as bringing consciousness, abilities, and skills to this life that develop into the manifestation of their cosmic spark. I love that term, the cosmic spark. So what, what is this cosmic spark that you, you speak of? Um, I think it is, it's basically what people in the near-death research talk about. We're composed of love. That's who we are. Yes. Um, and I think that that spark always is present when we pay attention to it. Um, and at our core is love. Um, the problem is when we get focused so heavily on the three-dimensional world, on the physical form, that we lose um, connection with that. We lose track of it because it's a more subtle source of information, a more subtle connection. And so um, part of what I think is really important has to do with how we reconnect with that and how we help children maintain that connection that I think they're born with. Right. I hold young children in my arms or when you have, when others have, and they are just um, joy, love. Um, so in the present moment, they're not thinking about what's in the future. Um, that happens in the future. And so they are so in the present and, and seem to have skills that they bring in in terms of 
connecting energetically will create an energy ring with their caregiver or a parent from the back of their heart to the back of the parent's heart um, at, you know, two, three, five months old. We don't teach them that. So uh, there's no other explanation that I have found that is better than um, this, you know, centric explanation. Can you explain um, the energy fields, what that, what that means, and uh, just a little bit about the research, the research that you did on that? Because I find it so fascinating that, that you saw this around six, seven, eight-month-year-olds. Yeah. And even month old. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, people have been doing energy research for a long time. There was a lot that was going on in the 30s um, around this, um, uh, energy fields of plants, energy fields of people. And some professors at Yale University suggested that it isn't the physical that holds the energy in place. It's the energy that holds the physical in place. And we all have that. Um, And so we began to look at that and what was it like with children's energy fields. Um, Some suggested that there was a natural development of energy fields starting out more um, translucent, more opaque, um, and becoming more dense as they grew older, which was a natural kind of um, development. But we began to challenge that because we felt like it wasn't a natural. It is us taking on the physical... um, density um, that in fact um, lets us ignore or kind of um, keeps our attention away from the more subtle energies and so that children actually are uh, more aware of this um, than older adults. And we see this in research particularly when children have memories of past lives, when they have memories of uh, of experiences and making choices. Choosing their uh, parents. Choosing their <laughs> parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's this energy that I think, which is a more subtle form of awareness that is important to pay attention to and what's happening with that. We're, we're using this all the time. We're just not aware of it. We saw this in research between parents and adolescents. The energy fields were changing all the time, sometimes pulling away when they were upset or moving towards when they were making connections. But we get so focused on the physical form that we lose track of what's happening with our energetics. Right. So these energy fields then, as, like you say, getting upset or something like that, through meditation or reflective um, activities, those sorts of things, we can kind of change, change our energy field? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we change it unaware, but if we want to be conscious about it, if we want to be more aware of it, we need to be more in touch with it. Right. And that often happens with meditation. Um, I included some, a meditation, a heart-opening meditation practice um, that will be available to people who watch this online. Right. Um, and a part of that is, is opening the heart because I think that is a key in terms of connecting yeah. Not only to our energy fields, but especially to each other and particularly with children, because that's where they're coming from. Right. You mentioned in your book that when people are beginning to, um, I didn't just look at children in this, in this sort of way with a new centrism approach, um, that there, you suggest two shifts. Could you talk about, uh-huh. about those? Right, right. One of the things that in in order to allow 
um, new ideas, we have to open ourselves up to other possibilities. And one shift is that we, we begin to allow the possibility that children come in with skills and abilities that we haven't um, given credit to, that we haven't paid attention to because we're not aware of them in our own selves. And right. so it's hard to see them in children if we're not aware of them or paying attention to them for most of us anyway. So one of those is really about allowing the possibility that children come with skills and, and capabilities that, uh, into this world as they're born. The second one is that when we get in touch with the more subtle energies, I also think we get in touch with other kind of a higher source of information within ourselves. Um, that can allow for an inner guidance, particularly not so much with um, just with our gut, which can be kind of a reactive and, and um, react more to emotions or right. our primal part of the brain, but the, the wisdom of the heart. Um, and so I think that that kind of wisdom, when our heart is open and accessing that information, and again, I kind of talk about this possibility in the meditation that I've outlined. Um, that we can actually get kind of guidance for our own higher self, our own higher being, uh, or, or external, even beyond that. Right. Um, but it's listening to that subtle information, um, that soft, quiet voice. Uh, and I think, for me at least, that happens most often when my, I'm at rest, when I'm at peace and my heart is open, and I'm asking those kind of questions um, in, from that place. So how, how is this work and your research, how has it um, made you look at children differently when you see those little <laughs> toddlers? And um, One of the things that I try to do when I begin, especially if I don't know the child very well or, or even with one of my grandchildren who hasn't been around with me very much, is that I try to reach out energetically before I reach out physically. Beautiful. So and what, what is that? Um, you just, I mean, energy follows intention. So my intention is to open my heart and to create a kind of energetic connection from my heart to the child's being or presence, or maybe especially his or her heart. So that I'm making an energetic connection, kind of saying hello energetically before I come at them physically. Uh, because the physical can be overwhelming, but they're, in, I believe, much more comfortable with energetic interactions. That's a lot of their world, I think. It seemed to be when we were looking at them from an energetic point of view with the, the studies we did. Um, so that's the first thing I'll do. The other is that when I'm holding them, I'll also try to make that energetic connection, particularly to, the, to their heart, the front or the back. Um, kind of coming in the back doors, partly because the energy rings often seem to be coming from the back of their heart um, and so at, uh, to the back of the parent's heart. And so I'll kind of try and make that uh, um, ring to them. Yeah. But as children get older and you have verbal capabilities, then one of them is to really listen to who they are and what they have to say. Um, because um, they may say something that is completely like out of our realm of possibilities, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. Uh, and that's what um, people, the, re the people that have done research on children remembering past lives mm -hmm. um, and finding evidence for that 
um, if the parents will actually listen to that and give the hold that possibility open, um, there's a way of connecting rather than dismissing and shutting down that world if we ignore it or if we punish it, if we, um, you know, say it's crazy or whatever. It's, so it's a matter of encouraging that by listening and paying attention to it rather than dismissing it completely. Yes. I love the story about your granddaughter. You were all <laughs> excited. Can you, can you share that with the, with sure. the listeners? Uh, so my granddaughter was about three, I think, as I recall, something around that two and a half or three. Um, and she was, she's always been fairly verbal. She's still very talkative. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was, she might've been three and a half, something like that. Um, and I had been reading about children and remembering their birth or remembering prior to birth or past lives. And her parents were, had gone to get ice cream and I volunteered to stay with her and, and, um, babysit and so I was in her room and just asking do you remember when you were born and she said uh yes I do yes there's something like I mean it wasn't that formal but yeah yeah and I was so excited to hear her and so I said well tell me about it and she started just kind of humming and high and said yeah I was born and then there were zombies and then <laughs> and the zombies were with my dad and they came with me and then we scared them off and and I knew that, I mean, her mom and dad have fun with zombie movies and that kind of thing. So I figured that's where this came from. I don't actually believe in zombies, but I didn't dismiss it with her either. Right. Uh, but I thought, and so we just had a wonderful conversation and it was a very cute. I was a little disappointed that I didn't remember like others have reported, but we had a fun conversation anyway. Right. And, and that's what's so special is that maybe it turned out a little bit differently, but you had that heart to heart connection yeah. and you yeah. listened and you enjoyed and just loved with an open heart. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. We had a, we had a good <laughs> evening and it went from zombies to this soft blanket and other stuff. And she just right. chattered for, I don't know, half an hour or something right. like that off and on. It was quite fun. So what can, um, what can we do to support a very young child's core essence? Part of it is that we, we connect with them um, in ways that from their point of view or their life. Um, oftentimes what we do is try to teach children our point of view or, or get them prepared for the physical world. And they need to do that. But in that process, we often cut off these the more subtle energies, the energetic interactions, um, the listening to what the child is saying or listening beyond the words to what the child's meaning is. Sometimes they don't have the words to hear it. And so you have to listen what's behind the words, what's underneath the words. Um, and oftentimes that's listening with an open heart and listening to as much the energetics of what they're saying as it is to the words of what they're saying. So it's communicating and supporting aspects of their world that they're naturally uh, inclined to incorporate or what they're used to, um, rather than uh, eliminating that from their, um, their worldview, their repertoire. Um, one of the things we found in our study is that by four and a half, none of the kids, only one of the 12 kids we were uh, observing was using a third eye steel. And so um, it could be that it naturally dissipates. My hunch is that it's just refocusing on something else. And so they quit utilizing it. They quit incorporating that aspect. 
So if we encourage that, if we communicate with that, if we ask them, can they, you know, are they picking up anything else? Do they have a sense of what's going on besides what they see and feel in their um, five senses? To try and in, to keep that part of their life alive. I think that's fundamentally what's most critical. And that we're connecting to them with an open heart and gratitude um, so that they keep their heart open as well. Right. And I'm sure that by by being aware and being present with those things that you personally walk in your life very differently in terms of just your day-to-day interactions with others because children do make you kind of wake up to being present and being, you know, if you listen once again, don't you agree? Oh, I agree. And I think um, one of my former teachers said to me one time that from his point of view, presence is the most valuable gift Mm. we can give children to be fully present with them and keep them fully present in their bodies. Because as we, basically absent our bodies and I know that very well I basically lived in my head and the body was what moved my head from one place to another because that's all it was really used for Um, and so I think when we're fully present in our bodies it encourages children to do the same and yes that can hurt or we can feel pain and other kinds of um, elements that are uncomfortable but they also typically are temporary Um, Right. And keeping them fully present in our lives um, with a heart open helps them make, I think, different choices in terms of what they can access as they grow older beyond their five senses in the physical world. Right. You know, it it all seems so simple. It is simple. But why is it so difficult just to be present or our days are crazy. And I know you talk about a lot in your book about gratitude. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of letting young children know that you're grateful for them, but also living that in your own life. So could you just talk about, talk about that a little bit? I think that when, um, for a long time my, in my life, if there was one thing, you know, I had, I had 99 things going well and one thing wrong, I get focused on the one thing. Right. I get focused on the one thing was wrong and I can't change it and then I'd get irritated and pissed off and, uh, and easily done. When I live in gratitude, it's like, oh yeah, this isn't working so well, but I can keep focused on all the other things that are working. And I think modeling that for children is an important part of giving them more joy and gratitude and love in their life. Um, And and that includes not just um, my interaction with them, but modeling it with other people. Right. To say to my friends, I'm so grateful that you're in my life. I'm so grateful for our connection. Uh, I'm so, you know, I'm grateful for this or that. I think sharing gratitudes with people gratitude with people in our life is a gift not only to them but to ourselves it keeps our hearts more open um, and it keeps us focused on the positive things and not letting one you know little what is it the pee under the bed that you know makes my whole life uncomfortable yeah 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 um can you talk a little bit about by my perspective or the one perspective um Uh, yeah yes 
Yeah, I, how I, we I, do that do that to children and, and not just parents where you know every day-to-day life and anyway just just talk a little bit about that yeah it's all around us it's it's like it's this game that we all play um politicians companies religions um you know we all play this kind of game and i think the problem is is that it happens at two things one is it gets kids children particularly focused on a perspective outside of themselves um, and that that's the only thing to trust is something external to them. Um, the other thing is, is that it doesn't really allow for a negotiation of other points of view or that something that we may be missing something when we get so focused on my perspective right. and the competition of that. When in fact, sometimes this, this by my perspective is simply to make me feel more comfortable with the choices I've made, um, not because it's the best thing in, you know, since, since ice cream. Um, so it's, uh, but, but I think fundamentally the, the worst problem is, is that it gets kids focused completely outside of themselves rather than having some trust of some inner guidance um, and going inside to ask the questions instead of which of these external perspectives are the one I choose. It's, what is best for me, for my heart wisdom? What is the best thing for me to do? Um, some people seem to hold on to that, but I think for a lot of us, we get so focused on the external and on other people's points of view that we don't really learn to trust our own inner voices, our own heart wisdom, so to speak. Right. I know your, your daughter, um, with her, I think her little girl, she uses... Yeah heart opening a lot and I loved the story um, when she your your daughter made a mistake or did something and then came anyway can you tell us about that yeah so my granddaughter was uh, I think actually my daughter had to work and my then they were staying in the same town and so I was watching my granddaughter and I had to workshop so I just took her with me um, and we were talking about um, um, difficulties that people were having and some of that. And she was, I think, five or six, seven, maybe. She'd been around me, uh, kind of growing up around me for a while. And, and she finally raised her hand, and I was quite shocked. And she said, um, I have something I'd like to say. And these were all adults in the room. But, you know, if you were to see a picture of extrovert, she could have been there from the very beginning in terms of a model. So she didn't have trouble taking on a room of adults. But she got up in front of the room and she looked at one of the adults and said, what's in your heart today? And it just changed the whole mood of the workshop. And she asked two or three people around that. And it, and it just so um, struck me that, that's the core. That's the kind of key question in terms of how are we doing is what's in your heart today? Right. Not what are you thinking or, you know, how do we solve this problem? How do we do this? How do we do that? It's what's in your heart today in this moment. Um, and I've used yes. that often. One of the times when I have a good friend that we will FaceTime from time to time. And oftentimes when we get down to it, it's like, how are you feeling in your heart today? And that gets to the core of our friendship, our, our deep connection. Uh, yeah. It just changes everything. Just those, yeah. just those words. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And also um, talking about your daughter, when 
she got upset about something and came back to your granddaughter, her daughter, mm-hmm. and apologized and said, I wasn't yeah. coming from my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children to remind them that I'm not always in my heart, but I can apologize for that and I can get in my heart and come back to you. Um, that that is when we really connect. And um, she and her mom have a, a wonderful connection today because that has been a part of their interaction. Right. Yeah, they'll get mad at each other. They'll get teed off as parents and adolescents do, <laughs> but then they'll come back and it will be a heart-to-heart conversation. Right. Not just... Uh, who did what and who did, who is wrong and who said what it's. And to start at such with the very young, with these things that you're talking about, because I do believe that what we're really trying to accomplish here is for our very young to be able to grow up and trust that inner guidance to have somewhere to go when life gets tough. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that adults will support that. Um, right, right. Rather than taking them out of that um, with, you know, that by my perspective yeah. um, kind of focus. Right. I think I told you, I know I told you about the woman that she's um, a wonderful woman I know who's a preschool teacher. And mm-hmm. one day she had a young child, I think he was three or four and was just jumping all through, you know, just crazy day. Uh And she asked him to stop and said, let's soul gaze, S-O-U-L gaze. And he said, what's that? And she said, well, it's when we just look in deep into each other's eyes, because that's where you can see the soul. And the whole dynamic changed. They just sat and looked at one another. And she was just talking about how you could just feel the energy, talking about energy rings, the energy, the love. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it changed his demeanor for the, you know, for the rest of the day. Yeah. And it was just really beautiful. Well, as That's you know, awesome. one of the goals of this podcast is to look at how children's spirituality brings greater insight into consciousness and who mm-hmm. we are as spiritual beings. Can you please give me your thoughts on, on that statement? I I think that um, children bring a connection to a greater consciousness that reminds us of what we all have and have, for most of us at least, ignored, let go of, lost touch with. Mm -hmm. And so it's that reminder of who we are um, from our very beginning and can get back to Um, When I look at people who have really tried to be very, very conscious, uh, or what some would call enlightened, um, my experience with people, um, the few that I have been around, that I'm sure are, none of them admit it, of course, because (laughs) they don't need to. (laughs) Right. Um, But in my experience, it is... um, it's about really reconnecting to this source. It's about the opening of the heart. Um, It's about um, a calmness of our whole being. It's about paying attention to the inner connections that we have, not only with source, but with each other uh, when we pay attention to them. And so helping children hold on to those as they grow older, as a part of living in this world, 
rather than giving them up and having to reconnect as adults, um, which takes more work, I think is what children really give us about uh, being more conscious beings, being more conscious people, um, and that we can, allow, we can learn from the children as much as we can teach them uh, about living in this world. Mm-hmm. And to look at indigenous tribes and, you know, other cultures, they seem to do, do it so well, you know, some of them anyway, uh-huh. Uh-huh. just still having that, that spirituality component and yeah. celebrating that with their, their young children. And the, and the people that do that best are the people who are less violent as well. I mean, I, I think it is a matter of, uh, it's a peacefulness. It's, it's not wanting to dominate. It's not wanting to control. It's not wanting to uh, have to be right. Um, there's a subtleness. There's a love. There's an open-heartedness around that. Right. Um, and in those groups, it seems to be even more dominant. Um, than, uh, and in part, they connect to the earth as well, because that's a yes. part of our energetic world that is really important to us. Being out in nature, and mm-hmm. yes, can you can you speak on that? Well, I just it's it's a I mean the the energy of this world is as important as the energy of ourselves and the energy of our children. It's all we're all in this together, basically, mm-hmm. and so being respecting and paying attention to um, some of my I don't know most sacred times are when I'm out communicating with trees and asking questions and trying to listen for answers, and I don't hear the trees talking, but. I get information, you know, it's, and maybe I'm just crazy, but um, I think when we pay attention, we hear things that we otherwise don't hear. Uh, And I think the same is true of children and their messages, uh, who they are as babies, um, what they're giving to us that we're not paying attention to that if, as we connect to that and be more conscious ourselves, um, we hear more, we learn more, um, we understand more and we give more. Yes. As you say, they are our greatest teachers. If we will, if we will let them be, we pay attention. Yes. Yes. Well, we need to wrap it up, but I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. If you could take a walk with your five-year-old self, what would you say? Hmm. The first thing I'd say is I love you. Hmm. Um, And I want you to know um, that that love is not conditional on anything. The fact that you are here, um, you are lovable. I think um, many times children develop a lie about themselves that they are not worthy, they are not of value, they are not lovable, other kinds of things. As I've worked with people around that. And so the first thing I'd want to do is don't lie to yourself about these things. Pay attention to the heart wisdom know that I love you and that you are lovable. You are worthy. You are valuable in this world. Um, And beyond that, what else matters? Yes. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share that I didn't, didn't ask a question about? I can't think of anything in the moment. Thank you for this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much. All the time and effort you've taken to set this up. (laughs) well thank you and um i guess i'll see you tomorrow okay friday friday yeah okay all right 
Thank you. Yeah, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Find a comfortable place for you to sit where your whole body can relax. It can be a cushion, a chair, floor, or some other location. I would suggest you avoid lying down as it's so easy to go to sleep, but it's your choice. Sit in a position where you can be comfortable, able to relax, and can easily breathe deeply. Begin by taking a slow, deep breath and allow the air to leave at about the same rate. As you exhale, let your body begin to relax and close your eyes. Take another slow, deep breath, again letting the air out, paying attention as it enters and leaves your body rhythmically. With each exhale, let your shoulders, neck, chest, arms, abdomen, and legs relax. Allow your muscles to ease and your whole body to lighten. Take a third breath. Slowly in followed by a long, slow exhale. Continue to let your body loosen, your eyes, your mouth. Wiggle your jaw and let it relax. Your fingers and toes. Maybe wiggle them a little, getting your attention there and then let them relax. Now, as you take another slow inhale, pay attention to your heart. As you exhale, let your heart also relax like the muscles in the rest of your body. Again, breathe in and let your heart relax further. Soften, ease with your slow exhale. Take another breath, letting the heart and space around the heart relax with your next exhale. Pay attention to the heart and the relaxing process that emerges from this. 
Imagine that you can direct the relaxation of your body, your muscles, your limbs, inviting your heart to also increasingly relax, to soften. Now, as you continue to breathe in and out slowly, feel that area around your heart. Let your attention ease into that region. Continue focusing on this essential organ, allowing your heart to soften a little more with each breath. Relax. Expand, lighten. Pay attention to how it feels and what you experience as your heart softens and expands. As you relax into the area around your heart, notice how expansive this region is becoming, how soft, supportive, and open you feel. Spend a few minutes just paying attention to your heart and the softness around it. You may find you want to spend even more time at this as your practice lengthens. Slow, deep breaths. Softening of the heart. Feeling at ease with yourself. With the next breath and exhale, encourage your heart energy to open further. First in the front part of the heart. Followed by the back part of the heart. I find it easier if I begin in front. but you may find just the reverse. Maybe start with the front one time, then try it by beginning with the back part of the heart to explore how it works best for you. As you increase the softness around the heart, notice if you feel any greater sense of peace or joy also residing there. If so, allow that feeling to expand with the heart. As you get more experienced, you can expand the heart and associated feelings slowly 
to your entire chest. Maybe today, in this moment. Allow your heart energy, your sense of peace and joy, spread into your entire chest, up to your throat, down to your abdomen. Just notice how it can expand as you relax and feel more at ease. As you continue to feel into your heart and the area around it, maybe ask a question or seek inspiration for something important to you. You might ask about a challenging decision you are facing. You also could ask for inspiration about some project you are developing. This is the place that I sometimes ask about what next in my writing, something I may be overlooking or missing in my writing, or what project I should tackle next. As you ask such questions, wait for that soft, often faint answer. It's important to allow plenty of space for the answer to enter. It may be a sound. It may show up as a word. may appear as a picture or symbol. Just stay open to receive without any expectation of form. This is a place for inspiration and responses by your higher knowing for important aspects of your life. When you feel finished, take one more deep breath or two in gratitude for the relaxation, for the openness of your heart. For any inspiration you might have received. For your ability to be alive and explore such experiences. When you feel finished, slowly open your eyes. I suggest you get up and move slowly as you include your awareness of an open heart 
as part of this moving forward into your life. Thank you. And I hope this exploration might be useful to you, whether through meditation or even standing in line somewhere. This practice you can take with you anywhere. Experiencing and hearing softening, opening is not always easy or strong in the beginning practice of this meditation. But the more I do this practice and spend time softening my heart, the more I feel the joy of life able to reside there. This little exercise did not take a long time. Nice thing is you can do it anywhere, even while standing in line, waiting for an appointment, or even to a slight extent while driving, just noticing and encouraging the heart to open, to soften. The more I practice it, the easier it seems to happen for me, especially if I am in a pretty good place when I begin. If I'm in a place of discouragement, pessimism, or depression, it takes me longer to feel my heart and experience the expansion. But even from these places, if I spend some time at it, I can feel joy return to my heart. And the change in my attitude or orientation to life can be profound. When it becomes a daily practice, I think you will find you have more choice in how you approach life and the challenges you face. Best wishes to you, always.